It is my pleasure uh, today to meditate with you on the Word of God. But before we do that, let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer. Holy and gracious God, we lift up our brother John to you. Uh, We pray that you would be with him right now as he stares up at the ceiling in his hospital room. Father, we pray that you would meet him there, that you would cause him to be uh, very mindful of your presence with him, and for the fact that you are taking care of him, that you uh, have him in your arms, and that you are in charge of his healing, you are in charge of, of everything about his life right now. And Father, we lift up Brenda to you as well. We pray that you would bless her as she ministers to her husband. And we pray, Father, that both of them uh, would know your presence, that both of them would put their trust in you to provide exactly what they need in this moment of trial. And Father, now as we turn to your word, uh, we, we just have to acknowledge something, that we need you as well. We need you to open our hearts and our minds to the truth of your word. And so, Father, we ask that you would do that by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit and by the power of the truth that is in your word because you have spoken it. Lord, I have absolutely nothing of eternal value to say, but you have a great deal to say, and you have a lot to say to us today about living our lives in a way that shows that we're devoted to you Oh, Lord, we want to become like Christ. And so help us today, Lord, to do just that. And we pray this in the blessed name of our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, brothers and sisters, I got to show you something. Or actually, more to the point, I need to introduce you to someone. This is Opie our brand new Basset Hound puppy. He's nine weeks old and two days. Uh, He is as adorable as he looks. He's fantastic. We're having a great time with him. He makes us laugh all the time. Uh, We're so grateful uh, to have him. But I've also got to tell you, in the one week that we've had him, I think I've learned something that applies to human nature as much as it does to a puppy. You see, all Opie can think about is himself. That's no surprise, right? All he wants is food, and he wants to be anywhere where he is not right now, especially if you have put him there. He wants to play, and he wants to sleep. That's all he cares about, He couldn't care less about what Leslie and I want or even our other dog. All he cares about are his appetites, the things that he wants. That's starting to sound a little bit like us, isn't it? We are saved if we have put our trust in Jesus Christ, and yet we are still sinners. We are waiting for the day when everything is consummated. And all will be perfect. All will be as it should be when there's no sin and sorrow in this world. But in the meantime, you and I are living in the midst of that sorrow. And we're living in the midst of our daily sins. 
our daily struggle to be more like Jesus. And that's because oftentimes we're controlled by our appetites, aren't we? Instead of the Lord. But what we're going to see today is that through our salvation in Christ, we're called to submit our will to Him completely. We're called to live our lives in such a way that proves that He is the King of our lives, that He rules over us as much as we possibly can. And by the grace of God, He has not only given us salvation in Christ, but He's also given us the Holy Spirit who helps us to live for our Lord. So we started two weeks ago on this little series called Life. Uh, we did this so that we can meditate on these three passages that I believe the Lord led me to during my sabbatical and that I believe the Lord wants us together uh, to meditate on. Uh, we've been addressing the question, are you and I living in a way that is pleasing to God? Are we living in a way that demonstrates we know that He is the source of life? Are we living in a way that we know that life is all about God and not about ourselves? We started uh, with Deuteronomy 8.3 last week, with, uh, the, or uh, two weeks ago, with the idea that life is all about obedience. Life is, is obedience. Because the bottom line for our lives, our, our calling, is that, is that we're to live in a way that demonstrates that we are completely devoted to God. We're to live with undivided devotion to God. And so we learned that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In other words, it is our relationship with God that is vital to our lives and the part that we play in the covenant that he has made with us is simply to do what God has said. That's how we live out our, live out our faith in him. Now this wasn't just a lesson for the Hebrews way back when. This is a lesson for us here today, right now, because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We saw in 1 John uh, what, what he says about this. He says in uh, 1 John chapter 2, whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now we can flip that around and make it, say it in the negative as well, and maybe that really starts to get to the heart of things, doesn't it? But whoever does not keep his word, in him truly the love of God is not perfected. I think most of us in this room want to be the kind of people in whom the love of God is perfected, amen? And so John goes on to say uh, in the next verse, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You see, there is a result of our salvation. There is a response to the gospel. We should walk like Christ walked. We should live like he walked. And how, how did he live? How did he roll? Well, he did everything that God told him to do. Now we're sinners. We've already blown that part of it, right? But again, we've got the Holy Spirit who empowers us to desire His will above ours, who empowers us to be able to choose righteousness instead of sin. And this is what we're going to see today uh, as we look at this incredible story that we're going to find in Matthew chapter 4. Christ also taught us the greatest commandment, didn't He? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, 
are called to complete and undivided devotion to God through our faith in him. We looked at all this through the lens of uh, King, David, uh, King David's song in Psalm 3. The big idea of Psalm 3, the premise of Psalm 3, is that salvation belongs to the Lord. In other words, the victory is God's. God always wins. And so when we pray, we do as David did. We go to God confidently, not because of a feeling of faith that we muster up inside of ourselves to try to have enough of it, We go to God in prayer because we're confident that God always wins. No matter how God answers our prayers, He always wins and He always answers in harmony with who He is. And who is He? Well, He just happens to be the only God and He is perfect. He's all-wise. He's all-knowing and He's holy. Do we really want anyone else to answer our prayers? And so God is going to answer our prayers for his glory and for our good every single time. And that's difficult for us to get our minds and hearts around sometimes. And so today we're going to finish this little series on life. Uh, We're going to look at the third essential of our relationship with God. What is life all about? Life is about Jesus Christ. Life is all about Him. And in fact, to a degree that may even surprise us. You see, without Christ, we are dead. We're dead as a doornail. But with Christ, we're alive. That is, when we receive Him by faith, we become truly alive. From that very moment on, we are truly alive and we will live forever. Life means eternal communion with our Father. Life means that our relationship with our Father is forever restored, and that means that we will have the right kind of relationship with Him. What does death mean? Death means an eternal conscious punishment. It means the wrath of God. That's a relationship too, but not the kind that we want, is it? And so, as a result of what Christ has done for us and making us truly alive by His blood and His resurrection, we who have been raised by Christ from our death in sin, we are called to live in complete and undivided devotion to God. This just keeps coming up, doesn't it? And to do that means that you and I have got to respond. We've got to respond to what He's done. We've got to respond to what he's done both in our hearts and in our actions. So before I read uh, today's passage in Matthew, let's, let's get our minds around the context a little bit so we can understand it a little bit better. Uh, we know that Matthew, of course, was written by Matthew. Uh, Matthew was, was uh, one of the disciples, and so he's writing as a firsthand uh, witness to the ministry of Christ and even a participant in that ministry. And so he's a reliable source. Uh, and uh, so what Matthew has in mind, especially as he writes, is his fellow Jews. You see, he wants his fellow Jews to understand that Jesus really is the Messiah we've been waiting for all this time. And so the way he begins his gospel is evidence of that. 
he begins with some things that would prove to the Jews that Jesus is that Messiah. The beginning of chapter 1 is the genealogy of our Lord, and that's to demonstrate that Jesus is the answer uh, to, to God's promise to David that the Savior King is going to be a son of David. And then in the rest of chapter 1 and through chapter 2, Matthew relates the, the beautiful and, and terrible story at times of, of the birth of Christ. Herod wanted to kill him because he, was a, he saw him as a threat to his, to his throne. But also we read about how Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this means that he really is the Son of God. He is the Son of God because he is conceived by the Holy Spirit. And then in chapter 3, we fast forward about 30 years and we see this prophet named John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus' ministry. And he preaches this. He says, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so who shows up to be baptized but Jesus Christ himself? Now he's not showing up to be baptized because he needs to repent. We're going to see later in Hebrews that Jesus lived a sinless life. He didn't sin one single time. He had nothing to repent of. So what Jesus says about why he wants to be baptized is that he wants to be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, to do everything that God has commanded him to do. And that just keeps coming up too, doesn't it? We're called to do what the God, our Father, has commanded us to do. And so then the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven makes this beautiful declaration, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus' credentials as the Messiah are almost complete, right? But he's got one more thing he's got to do. One last thing that he's got to do. Our Lord, the man, because he is also the son of man, he was born of Mary. He needs to be tested. He needs to be sent out into the wilderness to see what he's really made of. We need to see where the loyalties of Christ really lie. We need to see who controls Jesus, himself, the devil, or his father. And so let me read these few verses for us, verses 1 through 4 in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of the Lord. Well, let's first just take a look here at what's going on in these lines so that we can understand the impact of what Christ says and quotes in verse 4. 
God the Father has just inaugurated the ministry of his beloved son, his son whom he loves deeply. He is beloved to him. And the first thing that this loving father does is send his son into danger like no other. He sends his son whom he loves to go face to face with the devil, to go toe-to-toe with the devil, to see where his loyalties lie, to see what controls Christ. Now, of course, God the Father knows this, but this has to be demonstrated for us so that we can see the humanity of Christ. And so God the Father and the Holy Spirit are sending the Son into the wilderness to prove that Christ is human and to prove that he's perfectly sinless so that he can be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. We know this from Hebrews chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. That is, to, uh, to satisfy divine justice for the sins of the people. And then in verse 18, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And then later on in Hebrews chapter 4 comes what for me is one of the most comforting verses in all of Scripture. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so what that means is that whatever temptations that you face in your life, our Lord understands them. And he understands them to a degree and to a level that I don't think even we do. And that's because he's gone face to face and toe to toe with the devil himself. And he wins. He wins. But you see, Jesus has resisted what probably is the greatest temptations, these three, the greatest temptations that anyone has ever faced. Because this is a critical moment in not only Jesus' ministry, but for you and me. Because I love the way John uh, Piper puts it. Uh, he says that, that if Christ loses in the wilderness, he loses on the cross too. And so this is a critical moment. Jesus must win, and he does, but he wins as a man. He wins not by relying on his divine nature, but by relying on the Holy Spirit and by living by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so Christ is fully human, and he's fully God. This is one of those great mysteries of our faith that we will never understand in this life if we ever do. Somehow he is both. This is what scripture says. But you see, the devil understands this as he confronts, as he's about to confront Jesus. The devil wants to destroy this connection that, that our Lord has with us. Because if he can ruin the humanity of Christ, 
He can ruin salvation. If He can cause Christ the man to sin, then we have no salvation, do we? And so then we see that, that Christ is led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And what does he do there? Well, he fasts. He fasts in a place where there is no food and very little water. Uh, it's not hard for him to fast. Fasting is simply when you uh, voluntarily uh, withhold food from yourself. Uh, but there's a, there are good reasons and bad reasons to do this. Uh, Jesus, of course, is doing it for the right reason. He's doing it uh, because of a spiritual urgency that he is sensing. Uh, many people try to make fasting a kind of a ritual, a sort of religi religious thing that we do, uh, thinking that by doing it, it, that makes us more spiritual or something. Uh, but that isn't why we should fast. Jesus also said later on in Matthew that we should not fast uh, to make people marvelously impressed with how spiritual we are. We should fast in private. This is something we do uh, because we're genuinely seeking after God, and this is exactly what Christ is doing. But one of the blessings or benefits of fasting is that it can reveal what controls us. Later on today, when Opie is hungry, we're going to know exactly what controls him. He wants his belly full. This is the same thing that happens with, with our temptations, with our passions. We want our bellies full in a figurative sense. We turn to things because we think they're going to satisfy. But as we're going to see, food, earthly food, doesn't satisfy like food from heaven. And so... I love the way uh, a man named Don Green defines fasting. He, he was with Grace to You for a while, Johnny MacArthur, John MacArthur's uh, ministry, and now uh, he's a pastor of a church. But this is the way that he defines fasting. He says, fasting is not designed to put righteous desires into you. It's, a me it's, it's meant to be a means to express urgent desires that already exist. Fasting is an effect of spiritual urgency, not the cause of it. And so this is the correct attitude with which Jesus is fasting. And what's his spiritual urgency? Again, it's these high stakes. He's at the beginning of his ministry. And this is a ministry that cannot fail. The entire universe is depending on how he's about to respond to these temptations. Because if he sins, we're done. We're absolutely done. And so Jesus is led into the wilderness. He's tempted. Uh, to, he's there to be tempted by the devil. And he fasts. Well, look for how long he fasts. For 40 days and nights. Now this isn't a coincidence. Uh, you remember that the Jews wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, this is symbolic here. Jesus is, is intentionally identifying with his people. He's also identifying with Moses, who at one point fasted for 40 days and nights in the presence of God. And this just speaks to the richness of the word of God and his plan of redemption. Because look at how he orchestrates real events to mirror one another. So, Back in the day when the Hebrews are wandering in the wilderness, we have a bit of a picture of, 
of what's going to happen to Jesus when he's in the wilderness. And the picture is this. The Jews are wandering around in the wilderness. God sends them manna, a miraculous solution to their problem, but it's only a temporary solution. And then who leads them into the promised land? It's Joshua. Well, in Hebrew, the name of Jesus is Yeshua, which is Joshua. You see, Jesus is the second Joshua. And so the first Joshua led the people into the promised land, the land of milk and honey. Uh, They defeated God's enemies with God's help and through some miraculous means there. But it was a temporary salvation, wasn't it? Because what did the Hebrews do? Well, they disobeyed God. They didn't do what God said. And so now we fast forward to the wilderness and Christ's fast for 40 days and for 40 nights. He's identifying with his people and in responding to the devil's temptations righteously, Christ is on his way to lead us to the promised land, to the land of real milk and honey where we will be satisfied for eternity. That's what's going on here. This is the richness of God's word. I love uh, these kinds of things that God does. Real events that mirror each other, that point us to Jesus Christ. It's absolutely amazing. And so Jesus is doing this to identify with his people. He's doing this to identify with us. Jesus hungers just like they did, just like you and I do. And so God fed them the manna. The manna was only a temporary solution, but as we're going to see, Christ is the permanent solution to our biggest problem to our biggest issue now it's an understatement to say that Jesus is hungry he's been fasting for 40 days and nights I don't know that I've gone more than a day without food but our Lord fasted for 40 days and nights a human being can only live 45 to 60 days without food So what does this mean for Jesus? It means that he's on the brink of death. His organs are beginning to shut down and he's got to be in some awful pain and just in real dire need. This is his greatest need. 40 days of fasting. This is the situation. And so what does the devil do when we're down, when we're weak, when we're down and out? when we're hungry, when we're angry, when we're lonely, when we're tired, when we're, when we're tempted, he comes in for the kill. And this is what's the, what the devil does. In verse 3 of our passage, he says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now the devil, is, is, he knows exactly who Jesus is. He's not wondering whether Jesus is the Son of God. What the devil is doing is pointing out to Jesus the man the fact that he's also fully God, that he's also the Son of God. And he's saying to Jesus, you know, you could could use your divinity to your advantage here if you'll just do it. Not only that, the devil also understands that Jesus was there when the manna rained down from heaven. Jesus had everything to do with that as well. He was there. 
And so the devil is saying, we'll turn these stones into bread. Just redo your manna miracle. This time, do it for yourself. Because look how hungry you are. You can do this because you are the Son of God. So reject your humanity. Reject your humanity. Reject your identification with God's people. And use your divinity to save yourself. And not only that, in doing that, you're going to bypass all that suffering that your father has for you because when you die on the cross, you're going to suffer his full unmitigated wrath. And if all you got to do, all you got to do is fill your belly up now and you're going to be okay. That's what the devil is saying. And I love how Jesus answers. It is written. It is written. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, which we looked at two weeks ago. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, for Jesus to listen to the devil would be to break his fast in a way that would prevent him from being our high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. He would be using his divine power in a self-serving way, that is a sinful way. And this would be a sign that Jesus the man was unwilling to depend on his heavenly father for what he needs. He'd be just like the Hebrews when they were wandering around in the wilderness. That's what's at stake here. And the point is, is that Jesus, in the way that he answers, is relying completely on God for what he needs, both physically and spiritually. But even more to the point, man does not live by, by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of, the, of God. That is, our relationship with God is more important than our physical needs. Christ understood that his relationship with his Father was something that he could never give up, no matter what happened. And this is the same attitude that we're called to as well that we would never compromise, that we would never twist Scripture the way the devil is trying to do into a way that serves our interests rather than the interests of our Father in heaven. And so Jesus is relying completely on God for what he needs. And what he needs is his relationship with his Father. He needs that far more than he needs a little bit of bread to fill up his belly. So here Jesus is succeeding where the Israelites had failed. He depends completely on on God uh, in his hour of incredible need. And so as a man, we're seeing his devotion to his Father. We're seeing that his devotion is complete and undivided. And we see that same devotion in the next two temptations. The devil tries to get him to throw himself down off the temple and, oh, God's angels are going to save you. And then the devil uh, tells him to fall down and worship him. And then all of these, all the whole world, all the kingdoms will be yours. Kind of an ironic thing to say to the king of kings. But at any rate, in each case, 
Christ answers with passages from Deuteronomy. He says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, Deuteronomy 6.16. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve, Deuteronomy 6.3. We are called, brothers and sisters, to complete an undivided devotion to God. This is our calling, and this is why Christ turns to Deuteronomy, because that's the big idea of Deuteronomy. Serve the Lord your God and Him only. Do not put the Lord your God to the test and live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And you do that by being devoted to your Father in heaven through, as we're going to see, Jesus Christ. Now, this isn't the first time that that our Lord uh, expresses this kind of devotion to God in this sort of uh, fashion. Uh, In John chapter 4, the disciples are urging Jesus to eat. They haven't eaten in a while, and they're hungry. And Jesus says to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. There it is, isn't it? That's the lesson that we've been repeating over and over again for two and a half weeks now. Our food should be to do the will of our Father. What is the will of our Father? That we walk as Christ walked. That we do as Christ did. That we think like He did. We're called to walk in the same way as our Lord. This has to be our attitude if we've been saved. If indeed we have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. This just ought to be our reaction to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how do we do that? What what does it really mean to live by every word that comes from God's mouth? What does it mean to be devoted to God? Well, in John chapter 6, I think we all need to go home and read the whole chapter this afternoon because it's, it's full of real spiritual nourishment. But in John chapter 6, Jesus just blows this whole thing uh, wide open. Because he says in verse, 40, uh, in verse 47 of John chapter 6, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Okay, we're, we're tracking with him now, right? Uh, we need faith in Jesus Christ uh, to be saved, to have eternal life. Amen. But then look what he says next. I am the bread of life. Well, wait a minute. Didn't Jesus just quote Deuteronomy 8.3, Man does not live by bread alone? What's going on here? I'm the bread of life? Is Jesus confused? No. Here's what's going on. We go back to the letter of Hebrews, the very first words of of that letter. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. In other words, Jesus is God, and Jesus is the Word of God. He has spoken by His Son, not through His Son. God the Father has sent His Son for us as His Son to be the Word of God. And so Christ is God's Word. We know this from the first words of John, the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, every scrap, every molecule, every atom, and there are things smaller than that that I can't think of, everything was made through Jesus Christ. That's who he is. And he is God. And in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Do you, are you starting to see why our lives should be all about Christ? Because of who he is and what he has done for us, it means that not only do we have eternal life, but we also have our reason for living. We have our purpose. We have our marching orders every single day of our lives, every single moment of our lives. We live for Him. We live for His purposes because we are part of that creation that was made through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse 14, we can't overlook this. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So now let's go back to John chapter 6 and see what our Lord says. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. Jesus is pointing to himself. This is the same thing as saying, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. He's about to say it that explicitly. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. There's a difference between the manna that God gave the people in the wilderness and the miracle of Christ that he's giving us now. And that is that what Christ does is permanent. What Christ does is effective. What Christ does is truly satisfy us. He doesn't just look to our temporal needs, to the needs of the day, but he gives us what we really need. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything we could possibly need. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became the bread of life. The Word, the Word who became flesh who is the bread of life, is the reason that you and I exist. And he is our purpose for existing. And so Christ uses an interesting term here. He says, if anyone eats of this bread, well, we eat of this bread in terms of coming to saving faith in Christ. Amen. We must be saved to receive the benefit of eternal life. But there's another part of eating this bread that we often overlook, and that is our devotion to God. There is a response to what Jesus Christ has done for us. There is a response since we've been raised from our death and sin to new life in Christ. 
There's a way that we ought to live. There's a thought pattern that we ought to have. There, there are habits that we ought to have because we belong to Jesus Christ. Part of this is this response is just responsibility. It's duty. Christ did this for us. And so our part of the covenant is to do what he says. But another part of it is just sheer gratitude for the magnitude of what our Lord has done for us. We love him because he loved us first. And he's given us eternal life instead of eternal death. And so all this mixed together is just called devotion. This isn't, we're not talking about religiosity here. We're not talking about legalism, about praying a certain number of times a day or, or doing this or doing that to make yourself more spiritual. What we're talking about is your relationship with your Father through Jesus Christ. He has done this, this, this thing of unspeakable beauty for you. And so, why in the world do you and I turn to the junk food of the world? Christ is the bread of life. Everything about him gives us life. Every one of his commands is not a burden on us, but it's life-giving. And yet, what do we do? We turn to junk food to satisfy our, our wants, our appetites. You know, I think we've all heard of the guy who did the, the documentary about eating at McDonald's every day for a month. And this is kind of a no-duh. He wanted to see what would happen. We could, could have just told him that and saved him the trouble. But he ate at McDonald's every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Whenever they asked him if he wanted to supersize it, he did. And guess what happened? At the end of the month, he'd gained a bunch of weight and he felt lousy. And so why do you and I turn to the controversies on social media? Why do you and I turn to the things that tempt us, thinking that somehow they're going to satisfy us rather than the bread of life? Why do you and I uh, not fellowship with one another sometimes? Why do you and I uh, not sit together over a cup of coffee to confess our sins to each other and to ask, ask for help as we make this walk? Why do we do that? It's because we're sinners and we're really not all that different from Opie. We want to satisfy our desires now and we can't imagine that learning to obey Christ is a better answer. If we're honest with ourselves, we've got to face that answer. We've got to do some self-examination. Are you and I living in a way that is pleasing to God? We're all in a different place in this. Some of us are doing a, an awfully good job and you're an example for the rest of us. Praise be to God because we need your example. But a lot of us are struggling. So why in the world would we keep going and eating a bunch of French fries when we've got the bread of heaven available to us? Let's turn to Christ. Let's, let's, let's respond to the gospel. Let's respond to what he's done for us. 
And let's learn to live for Him. You see, the key to our devotion to Christ is to obey Him. That's the key. In other words, to do as He did, to think like He thought, to act like Him. I think Paul nails it on the head in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are on, uh, above, not on things that are on the earth. Eat the bread of heaven and not the bread of this world. Isn't that what devotion to God means? Isn't that what eating the bread of heaven to, to, to live in a way that we are governed by Christ instead of the world in all that we do and in all that we are? We're called to imitate Christ every moment of every day. The reason I'm, I'm weeping is because I've been, I've been here before, but I know uh, that, that some of us think of Christ as, as a hero, like George Washington. He's got some influence on my life. And yeah, 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 Jesus. Yeah, I agree with him. And so we read the Bible like we read George Washington had a, a book about the, a list of manners and how to be a gentleman. And so we read the Bible like that. Well, if I can just do these things, then I'll be okay with God. We're going to earn my favor with God. But that isn't at all what Christ is saying here. If Christ is the bread of life, he's not my hero. He's my Lord. And because he's my Lord and because he is your Lord, that means that we get to serve him even when nobody's looking. And I think that might be the hardest thing for you and me is to live for Christ when nobody knows what you're doing but God. You know, we... we Smile to each other on Sunday morning. We're polite. We're wonderful people on Sunday morning. But who are we when we go home and we're sitting in front of the computer? Or we've got those drinks in the bar. Maybe that'll, maybe that'll fill my belly, soothe my pain. Maybe I need to do X, Y, or Z. Maybe I need to become more religious, whatever it is. But Christ isn't calling you to legalism or religiosity he's calling you to him he wants you to partake of who he is and even to share in his sufferings even to be hungry in the eyes of the world at times because you know that your Lord satisfies above all things because he is the bread of life and so Paul goes on in, in verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you richly. Here's the word of God again, and now he is the word made flesh. He is the bread of heaven. Eat as much of the bread of heaven as you can so that you'll be like him.
and do it in the context of the fellowship of believers. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And so we get together with fellow believers and we confess our sins to one another and we praise God together. We don't neglect our gathering here on Sunday morning. We come to church as often as we can because we want to be with each other and we want to praise our God together and we want to eat on His Word and eat of His flesh and learn to walk as He walked. And so if you remember nothing else tomorrow morning when you wake up, Remember that God is calling you to complete and undivided devotion to Him. And praise be to God, we have the Holy Spirit who has dwelled in us from the moment we were saved, who helps us to do that, who helps us to choose righteousness just as Christ did when He was face to face with our biggest enemy. And then let this last verse just ring in your heart tomorrow as you sit in your cubicle or as you're dealing with cranky kids or as you're facing your own temptations. Whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It is possible brothers and sisters, to glorify our Lord no matter what we're doing. To put it another way, if what you're doing is something that you would want Jesus right there with you doing, then you probably ought not to be doing it. It is possible to bring glory to God in every situation. This is the challenge that John Sellers is facing right now as he lies on his back looking up at the hospital room ceiling with a broken leg and a broken ankle and a broken wrist. He's got some challenges ahead of him. But because I know him, I know that he is seeking after the Lord in this and that by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, he's going to display devotion and undivided love for his God. May we do the same thing. Let's live for Jesus Christ every single moment of every single day. And let's help each other do that. Shall we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace that has caused you to have patience with us as at times we have not been devoted to you. Our devotion has been divided between you and other things. And so, Lord, as we we feast on your word this morning and as we feast on the bread from heaven that is our Lord Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, we pray that you would teach us to walk as he walked. We pray, Father, that you would change our hearts, that you would continue that process whereby you change us from the inside out so that we can live in a way 
that brings glory to you. And so that everyone who sees us will see Christ first. We pray all of this in his name. Amen and amen.